Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Kyle Miller. Welcome to the show. I'm excited to bring you stories and insights from entrepreneurs and people or thought provocative uh, from people all around this town. Um, today, I have a special guest. Um, in, in with that, you are going to be excited if you're interested in learning about uh, leadership, learning how to grow, expand uh, you as a person. Uh, you are not going to want to miss this. Um, we have Mark Silverman on us on air with us today, and he is a author, high achiever, executive coach. Like he works with CEOs, entrepreneurs, and what he does is he helps take people where they're at and grow them into magnificent leaders. Right? Um, if you and, and I saw this on your website, and I really like this quote is. Um, what got you here won't get you where you're going, right? And, and we, as entrepreneurs and as, as people, we're always the go-drivers, the go-getters, uh, pushing, 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 and, and we can push pretty far, right, for a certain, for a certain distance, but then it kind of drops off. So I'm excited to talk with you, Mark. I'm excited to learn from you today. Um, welcome to the show. Thank you, and I love being a special guest. That, that feels really good. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Mark, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us, like, how you grew up, what got you into this. Like, give us kind of a little bit of insight on who you are. Boy, how I grew up an asthmatic kid on Long Island. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the hospital a lot and, you know, trouble breathing and, and uh, you know, trying to do sports and trying to, trying, trying, to, trying to be a real boy and failing quite a bit because my physicalness wouldn't, wouldn't support it. Plus, I think my nerdiness didn't, didn't help at all. <laughs> uh, so what I did to remedy that was drugs and alcohol. Oh. Uh, when, I, when, I, when I learned that if I sold drugs, I would be popular... Right. You know, if I did drugs, I'd be fun. Right. Uh, and that, that started like at, at 12, 13, and 14, right? So it was really young. Uh, and that was the pastime on Long Island, uh, if you weren't part of the rich kids, right? The rich kids had the better drugs, the better, the better parties. Right. Uh, but that, that started my career in underachieving. <laughs> Man, that's uh, But you know what? This is, this is I, always, I always say this, and, it, and it's kind of funny. Um, I found that, and I'm not saying that you were an addict, right? But, oh, I was. Oh, you were an addict. I, I ended up homeless. So this, this story has a happy ending, but it has a, a pretty rough middle. But what I found is the people that can go from having the addiction, right, mm -hmm. and turning that into a positive. So if you're out there, you have an addiction to something, right, something negative that's in your life. These are the individuals, these are the people that can really drastically change their life if they find that different high right? If they find that different thing that clicks with them that they like and they enjoy and that's actually a positive thing in their life, their lives drastically change. Drastically. Oh, always. The, 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 the charisma, the, the, the energy it takes to be an addict, the energy it takes to destroy your life in that fashion, if you turn that energy into something positive, and usually, like, like for me, I think I became wildly successful because I was making up for all those years that, you know, I was destroying things. Right. Right. I wanted to be something completely uh, the opposite. Right. The, the, um, I, I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs. I talk to a lot of them. Um, I go to events, I meet them all the time. And, and this story is, is rampant around among the entrepreneur group. Mm -hmm. Right. Now there are people that are still addicts that never got their life together, never changed, but man, day 
the people who alcoholism, addicted to drugs, or whatever, if they can just find that little positive switch to change their life, that little thing that makes them like have that high with something good, and their lives drastically, drastically change. And I think it's just amazing how that happens. Because I, I don't have that personality. I don't get addicted to anything. So I'm like on a constant push, right? But I, I find that those, those guys, there's just that drive. Like a crack addict, right, will do anything to find crack if they don't have it, right? They'll do anything, they turn that into a positive. They'll, they'll do anything to be successful, anything to be positive, anything to grow and expand. And that's just, it's crazy. I, I just see that in the mind. There has to be, have you done any research on how that works in the mind? I have actually, I've actually done a lot of research on uh, how that works in the mind. A lot of it though, again, all of it, all of it came uh, clear to me when I was diagnosed in my 40s with severe ADD. So, okay. we, so we, we, we went to have my, one of my sons tested uh-huh. because he was struggling. So we said, let's get the whole family tested so he doesn't feel stigmatized. And <laughs> the, the doctor was like, you know who's off the charts? And I don't even know how he functions. And I'm pointing to my wife at the time. And, and, she, and she was, Dad, how do you even function? I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. I took one Adderall one time. Right. And I was like, this is how people think? Right. And then it made all the sense in the world why I couldn't pay attention, why I was always chasing that dopamine high. Because that's, that's a big piece of, of addiction is chasing that dopamine, chasing that high. So for me, uh, translating that into business, right. I always have to be on the edge. I always have to be doing something that scares me a little bit. It has to be on the outside of my comfort zone or I'm bored out of my mind. Right. I complain about it all the time. Why am I always out on the edge of my sword? Right. But it's where I seem to push myself all the time, and that's where I shine. Right. When I'm a little scared, it's a little too big, yeah. right? and then the energy is up, and I can, I can accomplish things I didn't think I could. It's kind of like that life or death. It's not really life or death, but it's like, oh, it, it, it just pushes us all on the edge. Like, and some people don't like that. I, I like to live there because I'm like, oh, what's going to happen? It, you know, it kind of keeps us on our toes thinking like, oh, it, it, we're always on our toes. We're never sitting back and relaxing and just going, oh, this is just the way it is and going through life. We're always, okay, what else can we do? Who else can we, can we help? How else can we improve our lives, right? Well, society is doing everything it can to dull us. Right. Right. It's doing everything it can to pacify us with enough uh, streaming services to keep us entertained. Right. Right. With, you know, let's, let's do wine. Wine is alcohol, right? right. So, but, but it's wine, so it's refined. Right. Food, fast food, all the, all the things we do to numb ourselves yeah. because of not being able to deal with, with what's happening in the world. So for me, I can either fall prey to those things because, again, I have an addictive personality mm-hmm. and I love french fries, right? Like, I love chocolate. Right. Uh, but I have to keep myself focused on what I'm creating rather than the fallbacks. I... I 100% agree with you as, as far as how people are, uh, what society is doing. They don't want us to be high achievers. They don't want us to be striving. Uh, when I say they, um, it, there may not even be a they. It's right. just the way things have kind of grown. We made TV dinners to make things easy. Right. Right. Nobody was nefarious about TV dinners. Right. It turned into something that wasn't so good. So when you watch a baseball game, every single commercial is for things that will kill you. Right. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. So cool. So, all right. 
27 years old and you're homeless. Mm-hmm. So you, you've gone through this addiction. We've, we've talked about that. Now you're homeless. Like this, this is where it gets you, right? The drugs, alcohol, all this is stuff. where, this is, this is, this is where all my counters went to zero, as they say in the rooms. Uh, you know, I, I, I just couldn't hold it together anymore. I was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I was bartending, waiting on tables, doing things, uh, moving around the country. And at one point, I just got thrown out of where I was living, and I had nothing left. Right. I had nothing left on any credit cards to get myself a place to live. Uh, and my brother lived in the Washington, D.C. area. He owned a bunch of the most famous restaurants in D.C. Uh, and back then, this was 1989, so there was no Venmo. There wasn't even an internet, right? Right. Uh, so we were trying, I was trying to borrow some money from him. It was Western Union back then. Right. And we couldn't, so I was, I was living in my truck. So he said, why don't you just drive to D.C. and uh, you know, stay with me for a couple days? So I came to D.C., and the thing that I noticed about my brother and his friends, it was really weird. Uh, I hadn't seen them in years because I didn't talk to my family for five years. Uh, I, I noticed all their heads were really small. Like all my brother's friends' heads were just small. And then, it, then I realized they were all bodybuilders. My, my, I had never seen my brother all bulked up like that. They were all like bulking up right. because they were taking because they were all in AA and NA and they were all sober and they were taking that addiction and putting it into the gym. Right. And I, the first thing I thought of was how weird they all looked. And then, so when I got here, my brother said, look, you can stay with me. He says, but you know, you got, you got to uh, go to the gym with me. You're going to run with me and my friends. Uh-huh. I couldn't run. Like running was not a thing for me. Right. Uh, and, um, and uh, you're going to enroll in college. So I got a job at the Four Seasons waiting on tables, got myself some benefits, you know, health insurance, uh, enrolled in college, and slowly, step by step, surrounded myself with really good people, put myself in the pocket of AA and NA and all my brother's friends, and, you know, so they got me sober. So, you know, each year took a couple more classes, a couple more classes, uh, until I started building a life. Right. Uh, met my wife in, in the rooms, and uh, we wound up getting married, and when we got married, I said to her, I said, you know. I may ne- I'm in my 30s by this time. Mm-hmm. I said, I may not ever be anything more than a waiter. And she came from a pretty well-to-do family. And uh, I said, you know, this may be it. And she says, I trust you. Uh, I'm okay if you're a waiter. It's, it's fine. And my, my father re- worked in restaurants. Like, so that was my life. That's the only life I knew. Right. What happened was kind of a surprise to all of us. Uh, I took a test on what aptitude I had to do, you know, like what could I possibly do with my life? And one of the, it said you could either be a lawyer or a salesman. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, you know, it's been five years and I still haven't gotten an undergraduate degree yet. Like, right. like, I have, like I'm not going to be a lawyer. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, salesman, uh, oh, and it also said writer, which I don't know, I, you know, like I no, that was in my future at that point. Right. But uh, I, I went and uh, took an opportunity to take a sales job. Uh-huh. So I went out, and the, back then when you used to sell copiers, mm-hmm. uh, you would go around from office to office and knock on the doors and sell copiers that, that way. Uh, so I went out with uh, one of the sales guys, and I came back, and the sales manager said, Silverman, you're a really nice guy. Do not go into sales. Because <laughs> I'm shy. I don't like to bother people. I'm a rabid introvert. Right. right. So bothering people really didn't do well for me. So I wound up actually getting a sales job. And once I started to figure out that I, to stop selling and to create relationships, mm-hmm. I went from just about getting fired to the number one sales guy in that, uh, in that particular job. 
Uh, it was the first job I had, you know, not being a waiter. Right. Uh, so I was still making about $26,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Wife, I kid on the way. Uh, my, my, my ex-wife made, made, twice, made twice as much money as I did, and she was going to stay home with, she wanted to stay home with the kids. So I got another sales job. And this time it was in technology, and it was selling something that was really cool. I don't know if you ever heard of smart boards, uh, but smart boards were before we had all these LEDs and all this other stuff. Right. It was a whiteboard that you could draw on, uh-huh. and it would download to a computer. Okay. Coolest thing you ever saw. And if you put a projector on it, you could play solitaire with it and move the cards around and things. I was like, I could sell that shit. Yeah. I can do that. So I wound, I wound up selling a million and a half dollars worth of stuff to the, to the Marine Corps. All of a sudden, I'm the number one sales guy in my next job. Right. Then I go to, an, then I get another job at another place. Now I'm making, now I'm making like sixty thousand dollars a year. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's crazy money for me. Right. Right. The next year, I make one hundred and twenty-five thousand in this new place, and I'm, I'm like walking around like I am, I am the shit. Right. Right. Because I'm making all this money, and I kept doubling my income. Yeah. Every year until I'm making half a million dollars a year. We're in a million dollar house. I'm driving a sports car. It was crazy. We have these two kids and my, my now ex-wife is like, did not expect this. Right. Right. We're at the Four Seasons Hotel in, in Hawaii with all, the, with all the top salespeople. And I, the, the problem with that was, and I just did a keynote on this. And I never, never told all these people. We're at the Four Seasons and I had been waiting tables not too long before at the Four Seasons. I was homeless just before that. And I'm meeting the president of the company and all these people. My insides, again, why, why are addicts successful once they get sober? Because we're so desperate mm-hmm. to prove that we're not that person. I was so desperate to not be that homeless guy right. that my clothes were just, you know, like I wore Hugo Boss and a, a solid gold watch and all kinds of stuff, $125 ties to cover that up. Right. Right. So, so for me, I was running probably at 200 miles an hour versus, you know, to keep up with everybody and to prove all that. Right. Which is where burnout came in. Mm-hmm. Right? So we're living in the million-dollar house. Everything's going on. And then all of a sudden, it's this, this midlife, what I, you know, the midlife crisis thing comes up. It's the, you know, the, you know what got you here won't get you there. Yeah. Right? Anybody in their, in their late 30s or early 40s to 50s, right? Well, what happens is the wheels start coming off the bus. Mm-hmm. You're either dissatisfied with your relationship with the person who you loved for the rest, you know, for your whole life, or, you're, or you're, I'm in the wrong career, or something, something's just wrong. Right. And for me, the cracks were I didn't belong and I didn't do my inner work. So my marriage started to fall apart. I started having panic attacks. And stone cold sober, all of a sudden I couldn't sell anymore. Mm-hmm. Couldn't do, like I couldn't do anything, and I started getting sick all the time. So everything fell apart. Uh, I'm, I'm 48, 47, 48 years old. I'm 60, 61 now. Okay. So I was about four, 48, 49 years old, and it all falls apart. Mm-hmm. I'm separated. I'm living in an apartment all by myself. I'm having panic attacks. I'm having hives, and I'm really sick, and I don't know what's going on. Now, given what I do for a living, I know exactly what was going on. Right. Right? That inside was whispering, something needs to change. You need to do some work. You need to deal with some trauma. You, need to, you can't burn the candles at both ends to try and prove you're not the yeah. homeless guy. 
Yeah, we're, we got we got to stop because we're not going to be able to hold this together. We're, we can't cover up anymore. We no, got, right. We so, got to change. So that's when the drinking comes in for some people. That's when the when the people you know the the, yeah. the extracurricular activities start to happen, and you eat. You know, my um, my friend Dr. Jeff Spencer, who's uh, a coach who coaches like you two and Tiger Woods and stuff. Great guy. He ta- calls it the zone of doom mm-hmm. when all of a sudden your life just doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. Right, and you don't know what to do with that. And as men, what we generally know what to do is blow shit up. Yeah, we're good at that. Either our health, our relationship, our finance, our job—something's so- got to give so that we can right the ship to whatever we don't know is wrong. And that, for me, it—I I was such a—I was—I was so committed to not being the homeless guy and being the good guy because mm-hmm. I was the bad guys for so many years. Right. That I, that I couldn't even blow things up. Like I just held on and the cracks just came around me. So what happened was I was, I, I was now, my, my, my career was in the toilet. Uh, I was losing weight and I was sick as a dog. And I, like, they would diagnose me with all kinds of stuff and I thought I was going to die. Uh, and um, I figured if I'm going to die, um, I, I need to do something for my ex-wife and my kids because I love them dearly. And I uh, wanted to show them what you do when tragedy happens. So I, I was sitting in a doctor's office parking lot, and this guy says, Stu Middleman, who's this ultra marathoner, he says, you know, everybody can run. We're bipedal. We're supposed to run. Right. I couldn't run a mile. I was so sick. Uh, uh, but he said, everybody could run an ultra marathon. So I called him, and I said, can you coach me? I need to run the Marine Corps Marathon. And he's like, can you, what, what do you run now? I said, I, I can't run a mile. I don't run. I have back problems, all kinds of stuff. And he says, uh, he says, okay, you can do it in about two years. I said, no, I need to do it in October. This was nine months away. Right. Because I'm going to die. Yeah. Uh, can you train me? Uh, so I decided I was going to re- run the Marine Corps Marathon. I was going to make a million dollars to leave my kids. Mm-hmm. I was going to give $60,000 to charity just to make up for screwing up again. Right. So I started training. And uh, this was when Facebook was first starting to come out. I put out on, done, I started raising money for charity and stuff. I got a new job, uh, and uh, the, you know, and this is a really cool thing, is when, when you're doing extracurricular activities, that creative stuff, like training for a marathon, or artwork, or a charity work, your career tends to lift with those other things, with those extracurriculars, right? right? The creativity and all that. All, all of a sudden, I'm selling, right? I make the million dollars that year. It took about 18 months. I made the million dollars. Right. Ran the Marine Corps Marathon. An hour faster than Stu thought I could do it. Right. Uh, and I gave the $60,000 to charity. I wrote all the checks out with my sons. So that, that's, that's amazing. And I don't want you to stop. But I, I, when we decide, when we make a decision in life and we stick to that decision and we say, I'm doing this come hell or high water, right? I'm going to do it. The universe opens up, it gives us steps, it gives us the people who we need, um, and, it, and it puts the path in front of us. When we say, I'm doing this, and nothing's stopping it, it happens. Like, everything that I've ever done in life, if I said, I am making this happen, I am, I'm, I'm selling this house this week, I'm whatever. Right? Commitment. I'm going to lose 20 It's commitment. Pounds, you know? Boom. As soon as you say that. And you start making those actions, and you start doing that. Man, you feel so much better. So my book, Only Tens, mm-hmm. right, is, is just about that. Is if you commit, right, if it's a 10, if it's truly a, I'm going to do this no matter what. Right. Right, ADD doesn't, doesn't 
factor in. No. Right? Distractions don't factor in. I had three goals and I did all three. Right. So I end the year, my career's on fire, my health is great, right? Everything is starting to go. So what happened was when I was training, I was listening to every self-help book known to man. I was listening to spiritual books. I was learning to meditate. Uh, and I was, I was learning new skills. I was going to build Mark Silverman back differently from my 50s. Mm-hmm. And that's how I became a coach because I became an ex-smoker. I started, I, friends of mine died mm-hmm. in their early 50s, you know, at the prime of life with young kids. And I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't deal with the, the uh, compromise we have made to be in the 1%. Right. And I watched people falling apart and I was like an ex-smoker. And I just had to teach people, you can do this differently. You don't have to kill yourself to be rich. You don't have to kill yourself to be successful. You can do it in a different way. And then accidentally I found out about coaching. Uh, and it was my ex-wife who said, I've been telling you for years that you should teach people what you do yeah. We didn't have a name for it. We didn't know what it was. Right. But you should go do this. And I was, I was giving her $10,000 a month to stay home with the kids and take care of her. And she depended on me. And she said, you should go be a coach because that's who you are. Yeah. And that's how this whole executive coaching thing came into Man. Came so you were able to take, take from those experiences of where you've been, what you've gone through, everything, right? You've had the breakdowns. You've had the, oh, my God, I'm dying uh, type, type yeah. issues. And pull that together and then now go in and start coaching other CEOs, executives, uh, entrepreneurs, business guys to, and girls to grow and scale and be better for themselves, for their companies. That's, that's for their a, companies, for, for their, their spouses, for their children, for themselves. Yeah. Again, the people that I coach are successful. Yeah. They're really successful. They don't need me to make money. Yeah. Uh, they do need me to learn how to have success through others, yeah. right? Le- you know, learn to, to delegate, learn to inspire a team, learn to create a vision. The, so, but they also need, they, they need to be able to do it, like we, again, when that midlife thing comes around, mm-hmm. they need to be able to do it without the wreckage. Right. And that's what I care about. I'll get them promotions. One, one of my clients just got promoted to CEO. And that was one of the things we talked about three years ago when we started working together is I want to be considered for CEO. Right. He's CEO. But more importantly, he's going to be CEO with his family totally intact, with his health. He lost a bunch of weight. His health is intact. Right. right? He's going to go into this job firing on all cylinders right. and not destroy everything he built. The... the- the good to great, right? It's just, it's little tweaks. Everybody thinks they're these massive tweaks. They're just mm. little tweaks. Little, oh, we're going to do this instead. You know, these little micro decisions that we make every single day that turn us into what we can become. And I, I, I totally uh, am on board with that. So you got a new book coming out. Mm-hmm. So tell us about that. So it's called The Rising Leader Handbook, Turning okay. High Achievers in, uh, into Effective Leaders. Right, so the so I'm my I'm really blessed with a waiting list for my coaching services. I don't really do a lot of advertising; it's all word of mouth. So I'm really, really grateful for that. The way I figured out what my specialty was is who calls me and who refers to me. So I am generally called in by a CEO when they have someone on their team uh, in the C-suite or on the way to the C-suite. You know, they're. They're amazing. They're so talented. They're so good. They're invaluable to the company. They're a bull in the china closet. Mm-hmm. 
or you know, like they just are pissing everybody off. Or I really want to elevate this person to the CFO, mm -hmm. but they won't let go of the day-to-day. -day. They won't delegate. They won't, let, they won't empower their people. Right. Right? What are the leadership skills that, you know, the, the drive and the, the things that got them to where they are? Again, when you, when you started, like we talk about our entrepreneurs. Right. They, they start a business because they're passionate about something. They, they're creative. They're, they've got an idea. Even if it, they buy a franchise of something, it's like, I'm going to be in business for myself. And all that energy goes into that. All that energy goes into climbing the ladder. Yeah. But then you have to run the business from day to day. We were talking about that before the mic comes on. Yeah. Building the business is one thing. Running the business day to day Two through other people, yeah. learning leadership skills instead of doing skills, right. that's the hard part. And what, what my people don't understand is that the leadership skills are their job now. Right. It is no longer to do things. It's to make sure the right things get done in the right way. And 100%. I, I, I think... When people start, and, and I'm, I deal with a lot of uh, real estate entrepreneurs and, and, and people building uh, those type companies and you know small business, blue collar guys, um, the, the biggest thing that I see is that they just can't take their hand off of it. They, they cannot delegate. They cannot say, all right, I'm hiring this person to do the job and then like empower that person, give them the skill sets, give them, you know, take some time, spend some time with them and tell them, Hey, this is how we do the job X, Y, Z, you know, and put them through a training program that they need to have. Um, they, they just, it, well, there's no good help out there. Okay. There is good help out there. You just got to find it. You got to train it you got to cultivate it and you got to bring them up through the ranks that that's how you get good help. You know, you, somebody's just not going to come in off the streets and know exactly, uh, you know, what and how to do your system and process the way you want to do things. You know, the biggest thing I hear in, in the small business and blue collar guys is nobody does it like me. I just, it's quicker for me to just do it. It's just quicker. It, yeah, it's quicker yeah. for me to do it. Yeah. Okay. That's one job. What happens if you want to have 50 jobs going at the same time? You're just going to go out and do all 50? You know, that, that kind of gives them that look, right? But it, it's, it's so imperative to be able to grow, scale, and empower. I, I was interviewing a guy named Jefferson K. Rogers. He's, uh, he owns a window company. Mm -hmm. And he said he was gating, he was gating the, the success of his window company because nobody could do things as well as he could. Right. And he was just driving people really hard, and, it was, and, and, and nobody could do anything as good as he did until one day he realized that if, if someone could do something 80% as well as he could, right. Right? and then he could get five people to do something 80% as well as he could. He now scaled himself. Right. He could then coach them and teach them to get that other 20%. Yeah. But he realized that nobody was going to be able to do it the way he was mm -hmm. and that that was okay. Yeah. And that eventually they can coach. And then again, it's the surrender piece, mm -hmm. right? It's the attitude adjustment that yes, it's quicker to do it yourself. Yes, you might close that customer more easily yeah. than someone else. Yeah. But if you're going to have leverage, if you're, if you're going to not be a slave, mm -hmm. your job is to take that extra time to coach, mentor, teach. And I, I just learned something new about, uh, from the military. You know, right, right seat, left seat, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the, the superior officer is in the driver's seat. Right. And you put the guy learning in the, in the, or the woman in the, in the passenger seat. Okay. You shadow me, watch me, watch what I'm doing. Right. Now we switch. Yeah. You go, but I'm going to be there. Right. Right. Yeah. And eventually you get to drive the Jeep yourself. Right. Right. And it, it's painstaking and it takes so much work and, and patience and all that. But what you have at the end of the, the, the end of the day or the end of a year or two is a team where you and your family can go on vacation and things work. Exactly. The, 
the part where you, the other thing that I hear w- with that group is um, they talk about how uh, they don't want to train somebody because then they're going to go off and do themselves uh, do it on their own, right? That's like the worst thing that I've ever heard because if you don't train them to do it right for you, right. you're you're going to have more issues, you know. And you're going to have more work. You train these guys. And, you know, if they leave, great. If they if they don't leave, it's even better because if you can build a community and and in a um, a culture in your company through good leadership, they're not going to leave. Where are they going to go? They might they might go start their own company. Okay, great. And that's just somebody you can refer business to, or they can refer and keep those relationships. Because I truly, and you said when you got into the business and relationships was the key to selling. I truly believe that, um, and I and I think there's so many different ways to to go off on that. And when somebody leaves, when somebody uh, goes out on their own, support them because uh, you never know what's going to come back. Right. You know, but one will leave. Two will stay. Yeah. One will leave. Three will stay. Yeah. Because you're, you start, when, when people are taken care of, when people know you care, yeah. the loyalty that you, you know, and then even the people who leave right. are loyal to you because you gave to them. Right? Right. You, you weren't, weren't from a scarcity mindset. Right. There's an abundance for everybody. And if you go for it, it's such a better life yeah. to think from abundance than hoarding skills, hoarding. If you, you know, again, and in big companies, you know, they, they, they pay for school they pay for certifications and yes people leave with those things but more people stay and they're more loyal and they're more trained yeah i love it i love it so what do you think what do you think is the most exciting thing for you with your clients um what when you see your clients have success like how does that make you feel when you're when you're going through and coaching them and you know the struggles that they go through right you know what they've overcome as individuals how does that make you feel? So I'll tell you a story. I, I, I coach uh, two executives in one company in, a, in, a, in another country. And I was visiting the country and visiting them, and they wanted me to go out to dinner with their wives. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we go out to a swanky restaurant. It was really nice. Uh, and, uh, and the wives start talking to me. And they say, we know what you did for our husband's companies. We know what you did for them as businessmen and, and leaders. And that was great. But we want to tell you what you did for them as men as husbands as fathers uh and they started telling me how different they were yeah i'm in this restaurant bawling my eyes out because that's what i care about right right that's the the, the success to me is a byproduct to building a a life so so when they when they tell me that their boss chewed them out up and down left and right and they were able to relax over the weekend Mm -hmm. Because they knew it was about him or her, not about them. Yeah. Right. When they finally make that connection, that anybody, if it, and I'll give you the secret. Yeah. If anybody's yelling at you, anything over a four or a five in anger on a scale of one to ten. Yeah. You're no longer there. If there if there are three and they're pissed off about something, yes, you probably screwed up a sale or probably did something, and they're just a little frustrated. Right. If it's more than a four or five, yeah, it's their childhood trauma. It has nothing to do with you. You're no longer there. Once you get that, and someone rages at you, and you realize that you're not even standing in front of them anymore, mm-hmm. they're fighting with a ghost. You're free, and the person who's grounded and centered in any given situation is the one who has the power. Right. One on. When that, whenever I get in arguments or whenever, whenever that happens, I just sit there and let them like just go off. Okay, 
What? You done? What? Yeah, I can already tell. I, wouldn't, I would not argue with you. <laughs> <laughs> the, but it's so true. It's so true. It's, it's that childhood trauma. I talk to my wife about this type of stuff because she, she's done more of the, the healing. For me, I, I've never really read books on this. It's just all come from it within. It's just kind of like, hmm. Or just having conversations and just listening to people. But it's all kind of like, why do I, why do I, I, this too, why do I do the things that I do, right? I think about those things. My mentor, he says it's the thoughts on the thoughts, right? Why, why are we thinking the thoughts that we're having? So we have to question those. We have to, we have to talk, like, is that true? Is that, is that, is that absolute truth? Um, or is it, a, you know, false lie? Why am I thinking that way? So, and so I try to do that. Why am I thinking this way? Why, why is that person thinking this way? Why, what came out about and made them blow up? Or why are they having that reaction to something like that? Uh, I never put it into the childhood trauma, though. Uh, so that's interesting. So I, that's... I'll, I'll think about that more, you know, but especially over the level of four if somebody's arguing with, because there's really no need to. Nobody's dying, as long as nobody's dying, right? What's the big problem? Okay, I screwed up, all right? What's next? How do we fix it, you know? Yeah, I had, I had a mentor who once said, if it's, if it's anything less than $250,000, yeah. it's not worth my peace. Right. <laughs> I think, and that's... And I don't think he was that rich that $250,000 didn't mean anything to him, but he was really putting a stake in the ground. Right. That it's, you know, unless your kids are sick. Yeah. And, and that's kind of my philosophy in life. I have very, very low standards in life. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as my kids are okay, right. I don't give a shit. Right. Like, I'm good. Like, thank you. Thank you, Lord. The life, life is good, right? Right. My team will send out an email or send, do something wrong or do something messed up. And I'm like, all right. I never get mad. I never, it, it's never, that, that's not a good form of communicating uh, your wants, needs, and how, how to improve. Uh, so I'll take a second. I'll sit in it, you know, let the chaos or whatever happen, and I'll go, okay. Now I'll respond, you know. Um, when my wife and I are arguing, you know, she, you know, she's a little more loose than I am. And I, I'm calm, all right, all right. And she'll always say, why are you so calm? Why, how are you able to just, well, I don't take any of it personal, one. You know, I'm just letting you vent the stuff out, and, you know, we'll move on from there, and we'll get better. We'll have a discussion after that. My, and, son, my son's that way, and it's awful to have political conversations with him. Yeah. Because he's just like, why are you getting all upset? Just explain to me your position and why you think that way. <laughs> like, because. <laughs> I, thought you, I thought you were Zen Master Flash, Dad. Right. Like, not when it comes to politics. <laughs> oh, man, that's funny. So, where can they get this book? I know it's coming out. When's it dropping? How's it? Uh, how do we find it? So, the, uh, so the Rising Leader Handbook looks at uh, leadership from four perspectives: mm-hmm. leading up, becoming a trusted advisor; yeah. leading across, how do you lead on a team of powerful leaders? Leading your team and then leading yourself. Uh, you know, how do you become the best version of yourself? It comes out March fifth. Okay. There's a 25-page summary on my website, markjsilverman.com, that they can get for free. Okay. My first book, Only Tens, uh, you know, uh, confront your to-do list, transform your life. I can look at someone's to-do list and know how they grew up, what they care about, what, you know, like I can read them like tarot cards. They can get that for free on my website also. Okay, awesome. And it's markjsilverman.com. Markjsilverman.com. Everything's there. All right, check it out, guys. Mark, I appreciate you coming on today. This is fun. Uh, excited. Uh, oh, you can also check them on. You're on LinkedIn too. I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook. Instagram. Yes, uh, they, they they call it Media Mark. Mark okay. is everywhere. Mark is everywhere. <laughs>
Hey, omnipresence. There you go. Um, but thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. I definitely learned some. Um, I'm going to get the book. Uh, I'm going to read the new one. Uh, so that's exciting. It'll be the only the first one I think I read on a sub on this subject. So um, I'm excited about that. And definitely this conversation. I really do appreciate you coming on and and teaching us some stuff. Thank you. Appreciate it. the. Um, thank you guys. Uh, today, awesome show. Um, as you can tell, go to his website, check it out. Amazing things, amazing conversations. Uh, he has a blog on LinkedIn uh, as well. He posts daily stuff on there. So if you want to check him out there too as well, you can do that. Um, very insightful. Read it um, and, and definitely bring in some thoughts. So make, make you think in a little dip, different the way that you currently do and, uh, and improve uh, on, on your daily life. But thank you guys. And until next week, I appreciate it and I'll see you then.